If you have your Bible, leave it closed, please. You will get a chance to open it, but I'll explain it in a moment. I, I, I really want you to hear today's story instead of reading it. As we, as we work through parables in this series, Shift, um, we're looking at how Jesus doesn't just tell us what the world looks like through God's eyes. He shows us, and he engages our senses as he does that. And the way that he engages our senses, or, and especially you think about the original hearers of his word, was to tell stories, was to, was to give them this world, this lens that they could look into and see how things look to God. Because we are, as children of God, called to see things with the eyes of the Father. The reason I want you to leave your Bible closed this morning is... We often forget this, or it's easy to forget. As we're reading the parables, they weren't reading them, all right? They weren't reading them. Um, they were hearing them. And there are some differences when you hear something as opposed to read something. I'm glad that we can read them. I'm glad that they were written down after the fact for us. Um, but oftentimes when I get a hold of a parable or something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dissecting it and I'm studying the words and parsing the words and exploring the meaning of different things and the connections between different words. And it can become rather like your high school biology class. You know, you get the parable on the table and you, you cut that thing open and you want to look at this part and this part. But originally, they were heard. Um, and so this, this diving into the details would not have been something they would have done. They would have been getting from Jesus the picture, um, the narrative, uh, the painting that he painted with his words. So listen, if you would, to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and, and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, my confession when I read this story to you is is that for a long time, I brought my issues, I brought my interests into this parable. When I read this parable, I, I, I looked, I asked questions about, about the nature of the afterlife, about the nature of heaven and hell. What is hell like? What is heaven like? What happens after we die? What does that look like? Those were the questions that I brought because those were the questions that most interested me. But I wonder, as, as, as I hear the story Is this really a story Jesus told to talk about the afterlife? Is that what Jesus is doing? I mean, if you look at this parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, as the authoritative, detailed teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, about what happens in heaven and what happens in hell, you end up with a really weird view of the afterlife and a view that you really don't see anywhere else in Scripture. I mean, if you want to take this as the definitive teaching on heaven and hell, Jesus is is trying to give you a blow-by-blow on what it's like after you die, then you will find that for eternity you will be sitting at the bosom of, of Abraham. Now, I like Abraham, but that's not exactly my idea of paradise, right? Millions of years sitting on Abraham's lap, not paradise to me. Or you get this notion that you will be able to, to see from one side to the other, right? That if you take this as definitive teaching on heaven and hell, you will be able to see what's going on in the other place and communicate to the other place. And then that odd statement that, that Abraham shares that, that some people in heaven might actually want to cross over to hell. I mean, I don't know if you caught that, but some people in heaven might want to cross, but they can't because there's this chasm. And I can understand certainly people from hell wanting to cross over to heaven, but I can't understand the other side very well. It gets really, really weird. Or that if you're in hell, simply getting a drop of water on your tongue will cause an end to your torment, at least temporarily. These are are very strange notions, and perhaps they suggest to us the story was not really about the afterlife, right? Right? That's the scene, but the story is perhaps about something else. It's designed to tell us about something else. And if, if I come to the story with my questions, unfortunately, I may miss out on what Jesus wanted me to see, right? Luke chapter 16. This always helps, the context, right? Luke chapter 16. Before Luke tells us this parable through the mouth of Jesus, before Jesus tells this parable, what we have in Luke chapter 16 is a brawl between Jesus and the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus and, and this group that we're, we customarily see as the bad guys of the New Testament, in Luke chapter 16, they are not quibbling about doctrine. They're not arguing about legalism. They're talking about money. There weren't poor Pharisees. There were only rich Pharisees. Um, and they loved their money. Jesus in 
Chapter 16, verse 11, before he tells this parable, he tells the Pharisees. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And then in in verse 13, he looks these well-to-do Pharisees in, in the eye and he says... No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, right? Now we have their reaction recorded for us as well, and you can see how things were heating up in verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. They heard this poor itinerant rabbi talk about money, and it made them sneer at him. Who is this guy to tell us about money? We've been blessed by God, and we're going to enjoy our blessings. No preacher, don't talk to us about money. So unable to break through by simply telling them straight out, right? You can't serve God in money. You can't do it. He's not able to break through by simply confronting them. So Jesus crafts this story to, to shift the way that they see things. And, and it's interesting, even... The name in the, in the parable, Lazarus, this is the only name given to a figure in any parable, all right? The only named character in any parable Jesus told is Lazarus, which translated means God helps. And it's a good thing God helps because the rich man in the parable wasn't helping. Now, the rich man, Jesus, very clearly, as he's telling this parable, as as people are hearing this parable, Jesus wants them to know one thing very clearly. This guy, not Lazarus, but the other guy, is really rich. In fact, in the first couple of verses, Jesus tells us in five different ways he's rich. I mean, the first thing Jesus tells us is he was a very rich man. Then Jesus tells us he was dressed in purple. That's like Armani. Then Jesus tells us he wore fine linen. Then Jesus tells us that he lived in luxury. And finally, Jesus lets us know that this guy had too much. I mean, he had excess. He literally had food falling off of his table. I mean, so this guy, was, this guy was doing great. Lazarus, on the other hand, was penniless. He didn't have anything, really. Um, spent his time um, located just outside the rich man's door because he knew this guy has plenty. This guy has way too much stuff. Surely I'll get lucky and get something to eat. At least maybe I can fight over scraps with the dogs around the rich man's table. Right, So he spends his days outside of the rich man's gate thinking about what? Thinking about how hungry he feels. And thinking about how much his oozing sores hurt. That's what he thinks about. And then Jesus comes in and Jesus uses Abraham's voice. Pharisees may not believe in Jesus, but maybe if he speaks through Abraham, they'll listen. 
So through Abraham's voice in verse 25, Abraham replied, and replying to the rich man, he said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted. You are in agony. So is Jesus really telling us a story about heaven and hell? Or is Jesus telling us a story about seeing seeing the person outside our gate? Seeing the person that we would customarily just pass by? This is a story about seeing our neighbor, seeing our neighbor who has less. And this is really what makes it especially tricky um, for us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but when we read this story or when we hear this story and we do what we tend to do, which is try to imagine ourselves in the story, what would it be like for me? We tend to, at least I'll say, I tend to see myself by the side of Lazarus throughout the story. I'm with Lazarus. I'm with Lazarus, I'm not at the rich man's table, and at the end of the story, I'm with Lazarus and Abraham in heaven, and there's the rich man on the other side of the chasm, right? I mean, so, so that's a problem for us. It's a problem for me, because I'm not all that much like Lazarus, to be honest. I mean, my Thanksgiving last week was was nothing like Lazarus ever saw, I'll tell you that much. Um, forget all of the amazing food that we had. Then came the dessert, had five different dessert options, which, of course, I had a little bit of, of each, and then went back for seconds as well. Um, <laughs> or when I woke up this morning, in my cabinet, I had like four or five different kinds of cereal that I could choose from. Also had some cream of wheat, some oatmeal I could fix, um, coffee, three different kinds of coffee in, in, my, in my cupboard there. Um, I have a lot of choices, a lot of options, and, and I don't really know what it's like to be hungry. Not like this. Not like this. And I mean, I could even decide, well, I'm going to... I'm going to, to f- to discover what it's like to be a homeless person. I'm, I'm not going to eat for the next day, or I'm going to only eat this many calories a day this week or something. The problem is I can't really identify with Lazarus, even if I try some sort of homeless experiment, because I know I'm going back home. I know I've still got, right, I've still got the refrigerator stocked and everything. Once my experiment is over, I'm good. Lazarus didn't know that. He certainly didn't know that. So, so the hopelessness of this situation is... is Difficult, if not impossible, for me to capture with whatever experiment I might choose to try. Well, Lazarus. Lazarus. God helps. Jesus is asking you and I to, to make eye contact with, with our neighbor to see our neighbor, to slow down, to make eye contact with our neighbor. Jesus is asking us, who will stop and have a conversation with Lazarus? Who will stop and hear Lazarus tell his story? Jesus is asking us, who will comb Lazarus's hair? Who will trim his beard or cut his nails or offer him a warm, a hot shower and a warm meal? 
Who will do that for Lazarus? When the Pharisees heard Jesus talk about money, about their money, they sneered. When the Pharisees saw a guy like Lazarus, they saw someone who was not important at all. But when God saw somebody like Lazarus, he saw somebody very important. Well, Jesus in his ministry, and this is a thing that we do sometimes, we, we like to create these categories. You know, you've got evangelism here, you've got benevolence work here, you've got this, you've got that. And then we kind of have a hierarchy of, of what's really important. What's really important is, is teaching people and baptizing them, and this is of first importance, and then maybe this, or, or however you rank things. Jesus uh, really doesn't allow us to do that if you study his teaching. Um, Jesus makes the good news into more than just a message. Jesus makes the good news news about a lifestyle, a lifestyle of loving and caring for those who have less, right? I mean, Jesus, as he's, as he's inaugurating his mission, he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting the Old Testament, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach, you remember, good news to the poor, good news to the poor. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Interesting how Jesus links our hearts, the way that we see the poor, with eternity. Interesting how he does this. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus answers, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Or he tells them in Luke chapter 14, verses 13 to 14, when you give a banquet, right? I don't know how many of us had a banquet last week, but we certainly did at my parents' house. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So as I think about Lazarus, and I think about how really Lazarus and I don't have all that much in common, maybe I'm identifying myself with the wrong character in this story. Maybe there is this vast gulf of difference between Lazarus and his life and his concerns and his struggles and my life of relative comfort. But there is one thing that I find in Lazarus that I truly can identify with, and you possibly can as well. And it is at least spiritually speaking, you and I were every bit as much derelict, homeless, and hopeless locked outside of God's house, right? There we were at the gate, dying and struggling and hurting, but in our story with God, it turned out so beautifully, didn't it? Because he did see us, and he opened the gate. And through Jesus Christ, God gave you a seat at his table. And through Jesus Christ, God adopted you into his family forever. And I'm thankful I'm thankful to have a seat at the Father's table. I'm thankful that God saw me 
and brought me into his family. Curious detail to close about the story. And again, I don't know how much we need to dive into the details of the parables. Preface with that. But an interesting detail at least is is the fact that the rich man knew Lazarus' name. Think about that. So he ignores this beggar outside of his outside of his gate day after day, year after year, ignores the guy, but he knew his name. I don't know, I find that troubling. I find that troubling. And then the other details, again, with details, they're details. Maybe they're not the main point. But it sure is interesting that in the, in the great by and by, in the afterlife that, that Jesus paints for us, in this story at least, it's interesting that even in hell, <laughs> the rich man saw Lazarus as a servant boy. I mean, really, think about that. Even as he's in hell, Lazarus is over there. He's like, could you send the bus boy over here? First, send him over here with a little bit of water for me, okay? Doesn't talk to Lazarus. Talks to his boss. Talks to the big guy, the big cheese, Abraham. Blows it on that one. Abraham says, no, we can't cross this this chasm. So then um, the rich man's like, well, hey, how about you send the message boy, Lazarus, down to talk to my family. So even in the afterlife, you have this image of this heart that still doesn't see Lazarus as a human being, still sees him as someone to be used. This morning, I think Jesus is calling us to see with the eyes of God, and it is a different way to see the world, to be sure. Let's pray about this this morning. Father, we're confronted with a story this morning And we really are confronted. Father, we're a people who live in in not relative comfort. We live with a great deal of comfort. We really do. Cars to drive, homes with thermostats to live in, comfortable beds to sleep in, food in the cupboard and the fridge. We face the challenge, many of us today, with deciding... Where we're going to eat out this morning after church. And God, we're thankful. We're thankful. We recognize you as the giver. You bless us. You take care of us. And Father, we pray this morning that you will give us the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of your eyes, the blessing of your sight, that we can see people the way you see them and that we can care for the least of these, for those who hurt and struggle the way you care. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for giving us opportunities to change and to follow you. Pray, God, that you'll bless this church. We're thankful, Father, that Preston Crest, as was mentioned earlier, is such a, such a generous group of people, God. We're thankful for that, and we pray that you'll continue to show us where you want us to be more generous, where you want us to join you in your work. And Father, I pray that you will allow us, if anything comes out of of your message this morning, I pray that you will allow us to see the person outside our gate. 
the man or the woman or the child that's outside our office building or school or neighborhood. Father, we might learn their name, that we might hear their story, that we might help. God helps. God helps. And we are your people. We are your hands and feet. And when we help, it's as if you are touching these lives through us. And we thank you for that opportunity and that call. And this morning, we pray, Father, a prayer of thanksgiving that you saw us naked and bruised outside your gate and that you brought us in and you clothed us and you sat us at your table and you promised that we would never lack anything and you call us your sons and daughters and we're thankful. Pray, Father, this morning that those who would receive this or need to will receive it. Will confess their faith in Jesus, be baptized into Jesus, become devoted followers of Jesus. Give us eyes to see. Let us see with your eyes. We pray this in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen.